Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievers Markets Uncut Podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Quilt Achievers. My name is Andrew Wilson and I am an investment manager based out of our Leeds office. And this week I am pleased to be joined by Oliver Creasy, Head of Property Research. Inflation continues to surprise on the upside with latest figures in the UK hitting 4.2% last week. One area where we may see some inflation protection in my simple mind, is in the property space, both residential and commercial. And so this is where I would like to bring in our analyst, Ollie, to ask a couple of questions. Firstly, Ollie, how will short-term inflation affect the property sector? And what, if any, considerations do you take into account when reviewing the space, specifically if we were to enter an inflationary environment? Hi, Andrew. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's a good one because property is often talked about as an inflation hedge. Uh, that's something I'm sure you've heard said before. Uh, and, and the answer is, it, it kind of is. Uh, it's, not a, it's, it's far from perfect. Uh, and what I mean by that is that there are periods where uh, property returns can match or outpace inflation, but there's also periods of time where uh, property can materially underperform. Uh, you can perhaps think back to some of those times, uh, famously, uh, something like uh, starting in 2007 uh, and, and investing in property for a couple of years from that point on um, would not have been a very good way at all to uh, to guard against inflationary pressure. Uh, it turned out there were a few other things going on in the background uh, and, and then in the foreground that, that put paid to that idea. Um, and what we've seen in the past, and I think it's, it's likely to continue, is that um, while inflation does impact on property and, and while inflation is high right now, you could infer that the property gains will, will continue. Um, but actually, there's a few things that sit above it in the sort of priority list. Um, the first being um, the so-called property cycle, um, which everyone talked about. Uh, none of us perhaps truly understand. But um, you know, thinking back to that 2007 example, if property prices are overvalued to begin with, um, you know, inflation isn't going to bail you out. Uh, and we've seen that happen in the past. Uh, and the second is, is GDP. Actually, property uh, values and property returns seem more correlated to, um, to UK GDP returns than, than inflation. So, um, yes, as an inflation hedge, it's, it's useful. Um, but, you know, we, we always caution people to be aware of what, what else is going on in the world. Um, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly strong association that those two things have together. So... Um, helpful, but not uh, not a big conclusion. Cheers, Ollie. Uh, also, with regards, uh, if we look at residential property in particular, house price growth has been very strong over the past 12 months. Uh, there's obviously been a slight drop off in the last month, but alongside these increased pressures, house builders seem to have more pressure on the use of land and the way they adapt to increased environmental standards. Do we expect there to be a squeeze on margins or will prices help maintain their profitability? Yeah, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. There has been some uh, pretty phenomenal house price growth over the last year or so. Um, and maybe it's been a bit softer in more recent history. And, and you're right, the, the stamp duty changes are probably uh, probably somewhat to blame for both of those, uh, both of those factors. Um, and obviously, there's a few things going on. Uh, beyond that as well. Um, when it comes to house builders, the it's a really interesting and, and relatively complex, so I'll try and keep it brief, um, sort of situation. Now, in terms of land usage, um, actually the, the pressure is on 
existing owners and, and councils to make sure that um, it, it's got planning uh, and it's it's sort of available to be built on. Um, house builders do occasionally get um, uh, the old negative headline saying you've got a big land bank that you, you know, that, that they should be making use of. Actually, it's the it's the person who owns the field who's quite keen to sell right now while they can get relatively easy planning permission. That, that's the sort of framework they're in at the moment, that it's getting planning is, compared to where it's been in the past, relatively easy um, for, for a variety of reasons. Now, we do know that that's all a little bit up in the air. Um, you know, we're going to have to wait and see what Michael Gove as the new housing secretary, uh, housing minister, uh, has to say uh, on the subject. It, it could be no change, it could be all change. So um, wait and see on that. But but so far, actually, um, the land is available there for house builders. It seems to me that they're building more or less as fast as they reasonably can. Um, so so the pressure is is actually on a few other few of the other uh, people in the chain. Uh, chain of house building as opposed to the actual builders themselves. Now, the environmental standards thing is a, is a really important one. Um, but before I get onto that, it might just be worth also remarking on, on margins in the last 12 months or so, because um, you know, to, to tie it back to inflation, we've, we've seen cost inflation affecting house builders just as it's affecting everybody else, both in terms of um, the cost of labour and the cost of materials. Um, we've seen significant cost increases and um, you know I, I mean sort of circa five percent or so which is is materially higher than it's been in the past um profitability has remained sort of relatively standard at about 20 percent operating margins across the sector which is about a sort of a, a long-term average um and the reason for that is that as, as you pointed out at the beginning the house prices have grown um more or less more than in lockstep but in, in a way that those margins are uh, are proving quite persistent so in terms of inflation in general, the answer is it, it seems to be okay so far. Now, the environmental standards point is, is an interesting one because you know, we've seen various new um, uh, regulations either be put into place or, or likely to come into place. The idea that um, gas boilers are being phased out, um, new homes need to be built with um, electric car charging points, these sort of things. Um, there's also a, a new, um, it's not really called this, but a so-called cladding tax um, that you've seen uh, on large house builders. Um, and we also know that corporation taxes is rising as well in the next few years. Um, so there are a number of pressures out there, some environmental, some not, that, that are going to be leaning on this sector. Uh, our best estimates are that while those factors are all there, they're relatively well known about, they're relatively, first of all, priced into the shares, but also um, understood in the context of profitability. So the, the house builders know what they're going to have to pay for these things. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, they, they don't start projects where they don't expect to be able to make a decent amount of profit. Um, and so it's only when there's a kind of a shock to the, uh, to the cost side of the business that um, that we see those margins massively impacted. So we are going to see probably marginal impact, but nothing huge. Um, you know, to give it some context, maybe if the average margin drops from 20% to 18%, that's probably about right. Um, and, and that's assuming that there's no uh, further house price inflation. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you price in a few percentage points per annum just to sort of keep it in line with inflation. But you know, if we have another year like we've just had, um, then those assumptions will look pretty conservative. So uh, it's it's a sector that's doing pretty well. Um, 
uh, it is getting squeezed, uh, but it's not something that's sort of being having the life squeezed out of it, if you like. Um, you know, there's, there's reasons for, for optimism still. That's great, Ollie. Thanks so much. Uh, just turning to commercial property, one of the main drivers to the sector has been the increased demand on warehousing and distribution. There seems to be new warehouses being put up by the side of motorways every day at the moment. Do we see this space hitting saturation point anytime soon? So saturation point is a that, that's going to be a tough thing to call actually. Um, uh, but I mean, I, I've observed the same thing. Every, any any journey you take these days, you can see a, a new warehouse or something being built um, up the side of the motorways, uh, and, and that is a um, that is a trend that that worries me a little bit. Um, as you can imagine, right right now, if you are the owner of a field within sight of the M1. Uh, you know, it's quite a compelling argument to uh, give Amazon a call and ask if they might need a, another enormous warehouse. And the answer will always be yes. Uh, and if, you, if Amazon say no, well, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's DHL or, um, or, or, or Next or, or anyone else who's, who's selling online, which is pretty much everyone these days. So, so there is demand there still uh, and, and you know, supply is, is, is rising to meet it. The saturation point isn't particularly on the horizon for the, for the large uh, out-of-town stuff, but it, it probably is um, just beyond the horizon or around the corner, wherever this uh, analogy takes me. Um, and, and the reason is probably relatively clear. You, you know, If you own a field uh, near the M, M1 or the M6 or wherever, um, next door, there's another field uh, and another farmer who, who could be forgiven for having the exact same plan as, as you have. Um, so actually supply of, of those buildings can increase relatively quickly. It's not particularly difficult to get planning permission. It's not particularly difficult to build one of those uh, big warehouses. When you consider the size of them, um, you know, an 18 month build time would be quite typical, which, which in, in property is a pretty quick uh, turnaround. So um, it could be that in, in, in two, three years or so, we actually start saying, well, maybe, maybe we didn't need to build every single one of those warehouses. Um, so, so I'm a little bit cautious on, on that side of the business. Um, what I will say on the other side of it is that um, you know, places like Amazon operate these days on a kind of a, a hub and spoke model. So you know, the package that I order starts its life somewhere in the middle of the country. Um, I live in Southwest London uh, and actually whenever I track my Amazon packages, they always spend the night in a, in, in a town called Weybridge, which is just inside the M25, uh, sort of Southwest uh, a part of Greater London. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that place in Weybridge is not a massive warehouse built in a field uh, on the edge of uh, on the edge of a motorway. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a thriving commuter town with a, with a business park or an industrial park on the outskirts of it. And, and that sort of asset is less, uh, less common. It's harder to find and it's, it's much harder to build. As you can imagine, if you owned uh, a parcel of land uh, in a thriving London commuter town, the last thing you'd want to do with it is build an industrial warehouse. You'd be thinking residential or, uh, well, literally anything else, because as it stands, industrial use is still um, kind of the, the cheapest on per square foot value. So um, finding those sort of assets is is rare. Um, and if anything, the number of them is, is shrinking as, as, as we as time moves on, um, not increasing. So that is an area that is, is far more interesting and the demand is it, it's still sky high and if anything, growing higher because it's 
that that is where those um, local deliveries deliveries get aggregated and make Amazon's delivery process and everyone else's delivery process um, much more efficient. Um, I'd keep a really close eye on that that part of the market because it's a it's one where you know there is the demand and there is not the supply and that's when um, things get really interesting. Um, there will come a time again where uh, prices and values cross over and people say, well, why do we need this the shopping centre or this derelict office block um, in, in a town like Weybridge? Because uh, one day uh, it'll be worth more to, to turn it into an industrial uh, asset. But that day is a long way away. Um, so until that day, it's, it's quite an exciting sector. Super. And so just finally, there's a, there seems to be a large number of property investments coming to the market with additional equity raises. And this seems to be or at close to all time high levels. I'd be interested in your view as to the rationale behind this and how you take this into account when formulating the sector view. This is a is a really good question, Andrew, actually. Uh, not that the other ones weren't also good, but this one's uh, it, it is insightful. And actually, uh, I asked myself the same question about a month ago um, uh, and went away and did a little bit of research and, and, and added up the numbers. And, and it's a it, it, the conclusion I came to was actually the answer is probably no, there has not been a large number of investments. Um, but, but I'll forgive you for, for thinking it because I thought exactly the same thing. Um, comparing 2021 year to date to the last five years or so, actually the amount of money raised in the property world, um, in the public markets at least, is about the same as it's been. Um, but there's two things that are different this year. Um, the first is that every single one of those raises appeared in, in September and October of this year, which, which is why it felt like there was a sudden rush um, I, I dare say if we if December is as busy as September, then we will be having an unusual year. But it, it's unlikely that uh, uh, people in this market will be desperate to uh, to run those books in, in December and running up to Christmas. Um, but also the types of assets being bought with this money is, is different. You know, in the past, there's been money raised for what, what I term fairly traditional sectors, you know, offices, um, some retail as well, although that, that has very much died down in the last couple of years. Um, student accommodation, self-storage, the sort of things that have been out there for a while and actually been quite investable for, for a number of years. 2021 has been a new type of year because, okay, first of all, there's a lot of money into the logistics sector as, as there has been in, a, in the past few years, so no change there. But actually everybody else raising money is broadly um, categorised in, in a kind of a newish long-income uh, type of sector. So it's people buying supermarkets or hotels, um, uh, elderly care homes or, or, or GP surgeries, these, these type of assets, which um, you know, they've existed in our world for as, as long as we can all remember, but they haven't been institutionally investable for a particularly long time. Uh, and so it does seem like there's a slightly new, uh, new world order to it. Now, what is causing it? Um, it perhaps is a little bit of... Um, you know, investor boredom and, and uh, maybe boredom's not quite the right word, but frustration even with, with assets like offices and retail, which have been hit pretty hard by the pandemic. And I'm still not really sure that we know exactly how we plan to use them in a, in a post-pandemic world when we get there. Um, so maybe it's, it's people more interested in the type of assets that, that, that they think will have a use going forward. Um, but perhaps also it's... It, it, it's a function of 
these things becoming more investable themselves. So, you know, the the supermarkets is an example. The people have thought of investing in supermarkets for a long time. It's not a new asset class, um, but it is one that that you know, it, it's had its own its first sort of special, specifically supermarket asset vehicle launched about four years ago, and and that vehicle went from um, sub one hundred million pound equity to uh, significantly more than that. I don't actually have a number in front of me, but it's 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 multiples of that, and and that is now a it's probably looking like being a FTSE two hundred and fifty component uh, soon if it isn't already. You know, these are the sort of things that that, that change um, people's perceptions and make it seem more investable and more interesting. So I wonder which way around it, 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 it is the dominant factor. But it's it's a both a sort of a, a rejection of the old uh, the old types of assets and a and embracing the new that, that appears to be going on right now. Now, to circle back to the original question, what what, what do I do about this? Um, it, you know, the the answer is well. On, on the plus side, it, it really gives you the impression that there's perhaps new money or or different types of money showing interest in the sector, and, and that's a positive. Um, I, I like to see that, and I think it it also makes the sector. Um, larger and with a wider appeal so so there's no problem there um my only concern is that you know, when, when you invest in these these new ideas um you have to be careful that you you know what you're doing um and, and i i would say that the majority of the people that that we see coming to the market do know what they're doing i'm not going to uh make any direct criticisms but when i look at some of the um the tenants and the covenant strengths that that these long income assets are associated with i do have a few concerns you know you you sign a 20 year 25 year lease with a company you need to be confident that they're going to still be there in 25 years and they're still going to be making money well enough to to pay the rent that you've you've uh, set, set them up with and if the if, if the counterpart is someone like tesco well i think we can be confident there's no no issues that i'd raise there but if it's a if it's a small startup business maybe a you know something like uh you know, the elderly care home sector where historically it's been really difficult for people to make money anyway um you know, the, the cost pressures there are huge and it's it's not one where you particularly easy to to increase the the the, the revenue um you know that that's somewhere that i'd be a little bit uh nervous about investing with a 25-year time horizon so um it's one that I I think is interesting, and I think it's it's probably got a net positive for the for the sector. But I would just make sure that um, you know, as you go into it, you go into it with your eyes open, and, and and don't be confused with thinking that anything that's new must be must be always good because there's, there's going to be some winners and some losers out there. Thank you, Ollie, for those great insights. And before we wrap things up, we are delighted to announce today that we have relaunched our managed portfolio service. The service is available and utilises our full research capabilities. Speak to your investment manager or financial advisor to find out if this service is right for you. I would also like to recommend an upcoming event, our bi-weekly live research webinar series, Getting Back to the Future, continues Tuesday 30th of November, and the topic up for discussion will be active versus passive. Join us as our analysts give us an update on how active management has fared against passive over the last 12 months. They will also ask, do you know your passive? Selecting the perfect passive vehicle can be more difficult than you might think. You can visit our website to view the full schedule and reserve your places for all of our events. And for anyone who misses any, 
You can watch all past episodes on demand via our website. We hope to see you there. In the meantime, to stay up to date with our thoughts on markets and issues, you can subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter by visiting www.quiltachieviot.com. For those of you on social media, you'll be able to see up-to-date content on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn pages. All that remains for me now is to thank Ollie for your time today and to you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you at the same time next week.